Well, it is football season, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> I'm a happy camper right now because my cowboys are doing really good. Hopefully, I'll stay a happy camper. <laughs> when you see one of these, what do you think about? As some of you are thinking about that heartbreaking loss tech had last night, and uh, or others about how um, Alabama got surprised by Texas A&M last night and uh, lost. But uh, no doubt when you look at a football, we think about our favorite team, but we also think when we look at a football about probably a favorite player or more uh, that we've got. And when you think about those players and those teams, it is the preparation and the work that they put in before the game that makes all the difference in the game. A number of years ago when we were living in Chesapeake, I asked a group of high school football players uh, on a Friday morning who were getting ready to play a televised game on Saturday uh, evening. Uh, I said, how do you guys feel about the game? And uh, they said, oh, we're not upset at all. He said, we're totally relaxed. We're ready for this thing. And then one of the young men looked at me and he said, the coach always has us ready. Coach always has us ready. Coach always has us ready. Jesus told a series of stories in the 24th chapter and the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew to basically say, the coach, and he's the coach, will get you ready for my return. He will get you ready for my return. He has the game plan if we'll just follow it. He's got the ability to place within us the talents that we need in order to get on the field and play it well for him. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. As I said just a moment ago, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, is part of a section including the 24th and 25th chapters of the book of Matthew that focus on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming towards the end of his public ministry. He knows crucifixion is just down the road. And what he's trying to do here is prepare his disciples for his second coming. He's laying the groundwork, if you will, post-resurrection for them to anticipate and to look forward and to be ready for when he is going to come again. Now, in the 24th chapter and leading up to the passage we're going to look at in the 25th chapter, he tells several stories to represent and to sort of illustrate what it's going to be like when he comes again. And the story we're going to look at today is a continuum of that. The 24th and 25th chapters are what are called the Olivet Discourse. They are so called because Jesus went up on the Mount of Olives, and that's where he teaches this. The Mount of Olives served as a natural amphitheater. His voice would carry well. And so he goes up on this mountain, gathers the disciples around him, and he begins to teach what we have in these two chapters here. Now, he says this, his second coming is going to transpire like a thief in the night. In other words, we are, he's not going to announce it ahead of time. We're not going to know that it is coming. It's just going to be like a thief who shows up unannounced. And he says, my coming is going to be like a thief in the night. That's the reason you need to be ready. And the story prior to the one that we're going to look at, the main focus there is to take what God's placed in your life and be ready. 
Now, what he moves to in the 14th verse is what he's saying, this is what I want you to do between now and when I come. We need to be ready every day, but the way we are ready every day is not just sitting back and saying, Jesus is coming, so I'm waiting for Jesus to come. Rather, what we're doing every day is that we are taking what He has placed in our lives, and we are using what He places in our lives in order to be ready for His second coming. He wants us working for Him with what He gives us, which He's going to identify as talents, in order to be ready for when He comes. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. And he's going to use the word talent here repeatedly. A talent in those days was the equivalent of 20 years of work. In other words, if you worked a job at minimum wage and you did that job for 20 years, it would be considered a talent. So you're talking a large sum of money. So when he talks in this passage about five talents and two talents and one talent, he's talking about large sums of money that he's referring to. All right, let's kick in here with the 14th verse of the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents, now notice the use of the verbs here, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent, and again notice the difference in the verbs here, went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you deliver to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you deliver to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you up over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful or lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. 
But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now notice verse 14. I want us to see some key words that Jesus uses here. The first off is he says there's the master and the servants. And he's identifying himself in this passage as the master. And he's identifying his disciples and those of us who follow him as the servants. Now, in those days, a, ma- a servant was bought and owned by a master. And the master related to his servants by basically telling them, you do this and you do that. And they did whatever the master told them to do. If you were a servant, you took your orders from your master. If you were a servant, your needs in life were taken care of by your master. And your master also had the responsibility and would look after you to make sure that you were developed to your full potential. But you did whatever the master told you to do. When Jesus looks at his disciples and tells the story and identifies himself as a master and them as servants and calls them servants as he does us, and the literal Greek word there means a bond servant. In other words, you have been bought and you belong to the one that has bought you. He is identifying us as his servants. Everything in this parable is going to cue off of how he identifies them as servants and him as the master. And folks, everything in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ cues off of how we identify with Jesus. He is my master and I am a servant. Whenever I think that I am the master and he is my servant and we get the order reversed, we are in trouble. My job with the Lord Jesus Christ is just simply to say to him, You tell me what to do. You tell me where to go. You tell me who to become. I am your servant, and I will become and go and do, Lord, whatever you want me to go, do, and become. And in so doing, we become everything that God has made us and created us and is creating us to be. So are we willing to relate to him as a servant? Now, notice next in verse 15. He says, as this master walks up to these three servants, and he gives them talents. He gives to one guy five talents, to another guy three talents, to another guy one talent. But when he hands out the talents in verse 15, it says that he does so according to their ability. Key phrase here, according to their ability. He looks at them, and he says, you've got five talents worth of ability, so I'm going to give you five talents because I know you can take the five talents, and you can make more with them. You've got ability to handle five talents. I'm going to give this other guy two talents because I know he's got the ability to handle two, one to handle one. Now, what we tend to do in our culture is we want to say everybody has got equal ability. But that is not what Jesus is teaching here. He is saying that someone, some people have got five talents worth of ability, some people have got two talents worth of ability, and some people have got one talent worth of ability. Jesus was not going to take the one talent guy and dump five talents on him and expect him to know what to do with it and get overwhelmed by it. He gave it, it says, according to their ability. Now, follow closely what I'm saying. What we do in our culture is we equivocate ability with value. In other words, we press so hard that everybody's got equal ability because what we're really trying to say is everybody's got equal value. But in this story, the issue is not value. Each of the servants was of equal value. They just had different ability. And what I would encourage you in, first of all, is don't get your abilities mixed up with your value. Because if you compare yourself to other people and you say, I don't have what they've got and I can't do what they've got, so therefore I don't have as much value. Uh, If you grew up in a home situation where you had one sibling who really seemed to be valued, 
valued because they had all kinds of ability and you were sitting over there on the corner feeling like you couldn't get, you know, probably get your pants on and so therefore you didn't feel like you had much ability and therefore you didn't stack up to your brother or your sister or whoever you got compared to constantly, then you're thinking, well, I don't have much value. But what Jesus is teaching here is everybody's got equal value. This is not a story about value. This is a story about ability and talent. So it's all equal value. As we progress in the story, you will also see that there is an equal blessing that is given out. In other words, when the ones take the two guys, the guy who's got the two talents does what he's supposed to do with the two talents, he's blessed just like the guy who has the five talents. So it's not an issue of equal ability, but it is an issue of equal value. Everybody's got equal value. There is equal blessing. And Jesus says the same thing to the two-talent guys. He says to the five-talent guy, enter into my joy. There is an equal walk in the joy of the Lord. If you are caught up in comparing yourself to somebody and feeling like you don't measure up because you don't have the ability of somebody and therefore you are jealous, miserable, angry, whatever it is, envious, you are robbing yourself of the joy of the Lord. Because Jesus is not concerned about how much ability that you've got. He's concerned that you take what he's placed into your life and use it, and you will walk in as much joy as you choose to at that point as anybody else. So many of us are not walking in the joy we could walk in because we are so busy being envious of somebody else that we think's got more going for him than what we have got going for him. Now, notice verse 14. It says that he entrusted to them his property. It was still his property even though they held the talents in their possession. When God places something of himself in your life, it always belongs to him. We are the temporary stewards in this life of what he places into our lives. And he entrusts it to us. He expects us to take it and to use it to his honor and to his glory. He also entrusted to us in the sense that we're going to have to give an account to him someday of what we did with what he places into our lives. Now, notice verse 16, the guy that's got the five talents and the guy that's got the two talents, notice the verbs of what they do. Notice verse 16, it says, he went at once and invested that talent. He was prompt. He acted quickly with what God had placed in his life. Now, why did he act so quickly? Because he had faith in the talent's ability to multiply. He had faith in God, excuse me, in the master, who of course is the Lord here, but he had faith in the master, that the master knew what he was doing, that the master had placed something of high value in his life. So he has faith in his master, he has faith in the talent, and he has faith in himself to be able to walk out there and do something. So he acts quickly. You see, our obedience is tied to our faith. The more I believe in what God has placed in my life, the more I believe in God's game plan, the more I'm going to execute it, the more I'm going to use what God has placed in my life because faith always acts. You see, when you and I live in faith, God doesn't have to wait on us in obedience. When you and I live in faith, God doesn't have to wait on our obedience. When God is waiting on our obedience, our disobedience and His having to wait on our obedience is a statement of how we don't really trust Him and how we are really struggling to trust Him with what He has placed in our lives. 
This guy looked at the master. He said, Master, I believe in you. I believe in your game plan. I believe in the power of the talent that you've placed in my life. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to invest it. I'm going to work it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to trade it. I'm going to make it. And I'm going to do that as quick as I possibly can. Verse 19. When the master comes back, it says that he settles accounts with them. In other words, he brings them up there and he holds them accountable. Now, I want us to look at the principles for talent multiplication. I've got this written in your bulletin uh, in the sermon outline, so I encourage you to follow along with me. Principles for talent multiplication. First of all, he gives the guy five talents, and what does that guy do? He goes and trades it, and he makes five talents more. The guy who has the two talents, he takes and uses that. And those two talents become two talents more. So five talents have become ten talents. Two talents have become four talents. Now what he's trying to say here is what God places in your life has the ability to double itself. Think about that. What God places in your life has the inherent ability to double itself in impact. Now how can that be? Because God infused it with that power and that ability. We don't, but God does. See, sometimes when we take and we look at what God's put in our lives, we say, I don't see how God could use this. I don't see how this could impact anybody's life. But if God placed it in our lives, He sees to it that it has the inherent ability and power in it to double itself, to double its impact. So that's the first principle there. Now, what is a talent. In the story here, the talent was basically money. In fact, he identifies it later on as he has silver in his hands. It also is sort of a broad, general term to refer to specific abilities that God gives us, to the spiritual gifts that are outlined in Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians, to time, to God-orchestrated circumstances in our lives, to the truth that we are able to gain by knowing Jesus and following Jesus. The talent can take all kinds of forms in our lives. It can also take another form that I want to identify to you. When God works in your life, particularly through a period that is difficult, and you experience the power of God and the grace of God in your life during that difficult journey, that becomes a talent in your life that you can then take and use to bless somebody else's life. He has the ability to take the difficult places and the difficult times, and even if we will come alongside people who are struggling like we are or have struggled like we have struggled, he has the ability to take that and to double the impact of that to his glory if we will allow him to do that. See, a lot of times we'll see this with that one servant who took his one talent and dug it in the ground and hid it. A lot of times when we go through a difficult time in life, what do we do? We try to dig a hole and stick it in the ground. We try to stick that in our past and we don't want to think about it, deal with it, or come across it anymore. We go into a form of denial. But what he's saying here is if you will take the exhibition, the work of my grace in your life when you go through a difficult time and not travel in the pain of it but travel in the grace of it and see that that is a talent for me of how I'm working in your life in the grace of it, then what you will discover is that I can take it and I can double that in your life to help other people as they're going through difficult times. Now, using faithfully what he places in our lives... 
The guy who had the two talents did what? He didn't sit there and go, oh, man, all I got was two talents. Look at that guy who got five talents. He got more talents than I got. His talents are better than my talents. All I got is these two little measly talents over here that I was given. The two-talent guy went off and went to work like the five-talent guy did. And what Jesus is trying, I believe, to teach us here is don't get into this comparison business. The reason so many of us get so defeated in our Christian lives is because we spend so much time comparing ourselves to somebody else. How many of us hold back on praying because we can't pray as good as so-and-so prays? How many of us don't study the Bible because we don't feel like we can study the Bible as good as some relative or whoever can study the Bible? How many of us say, well, I would serve the Lord in this way or do this, but I can't do it as good as somebody else did it? I don't have the talent and the ability that they have. How many believers sit back and hold back because they say, I can't do it as good as somebody else? When we do that, what we are saying to the Lord is, what you placed in my life isn't good enough for me. And I'm going to focus on what somebody else has instead, Lord, of focusing on what you placed in my life. What this guy did with the two talents is he didn't sit there and get all wrapped up in the five-talent guy. He said, the master entrusted me with two talents. I am excited about my two talents. I'm going to go out here and use my two talents. I'm going to look at the power that's in my two talents. If you're a two-talent person, then get out there and use your two talents like the guy with five talents. But for the Lord's sake, don't sit there and be jealous and envious of the five-talent guy. Say, thank you, Jesus, for what you placed in my life, and I'm to use that to your glory. And if it's two talent or one talent, just because it came from Jesus, it has got awesome ability in it. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do in my life through that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, is an interesting passage of Scripture that Paul is writing. Listen to what he says. For consider your calling, brothers. These are these believers in Corinth. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise or intelligent according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. And not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose. Notice how he keeps repeating that phrase. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts or brags boast in the Lord. And what Paul is saying here is, hey folks, when God went to hand out the talents, he didn't say who's the most intelligent, who's, you know, come from the best pedigree of blue blood or whatever. He didn't play that game. What God did was he chose people that were weak, people that were screwed up, people that were messed up, people that had been thrown under the bus, people that were the rejects, et cetera, et cetera, and he poured his good stuff into them. And why did he do that? Because our ultimate 
goal is to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. And when those folks walk around who don't seem to have much going for them, but they're taking what God's placed in them and using them to his glory, they have God going for them and God working in their life. And the objective here is to bring glory and honor and attention to Jesus. It's not to bring attention to me in the first place. You see, when I hold back because I say I don't have the the talents I want and the talents I need or the talents that I wish... I hate in my life that somebody else says, God's trying to say to us, my whole purpose of putting a talent in your life, an ability, a circumstance, an opportunity, the work of my grace, you name it, in your life, my whole reason I did that was to bring honor and glory to my son. It wouldn't have set you up in the first place. If you think it's about tooting your own horn, it was never about that in the first place, so get off of that and use it to my glory. And if God has placed a lot of talents in your life and you think you are tough stuff because you got a whole lot going for you, that's not why he gave it to you. He gave it to you and I so that we would bring honor and glory to him. It is all about using what God's placed in our lives to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you some examples of some people I've seen do this over the years. A number of years ago, we were in um, Digstown on a mission trip. Digstown is an inner city housing project in Norfolk. Some of you have been with us in Shrimp have worked in that community. It's a large, it was a large area, about 400 and some homes, a lot of poverty, etc. We had some boys in that community that when we put them in Bible schools, I mean, it was just a disaster. They were going to just tear things up and... and you misbehave in the whole nine yards. They had more energy you knew what to do with, et cetera, et cetera. They wanted to concentrate on what was going on. So I asked if we could put out a plea to the churches that were working with us that I needed someone who could do woodworking. And we were going to identify the kids who had the most trouble with behavior and put them into a woodworking class for the week. It was going to be an experiment for sure, but we were going to put them into a woodworking class for the week. So we identified about five guys. These were all elementary age school guys. Put them into that class. And I loved to go in there every day. Because there was a man sitting in there, and he would be in there, and first of all, he taught them about tools, exactly what a tool, different tools, and how you use these different tools. These boys had never seen that. Then he said, we're going to, and he taught them about different types of wood. And then he said, we're going to take, you're going to make a bench this week. And you're going to make the bench in such a way that 50 years from now, you're going to still have that bench. That's how secure and strong this bench is going to be. So every day, they worked a little bit on their bench. They learned about tools. They learned about wood. They learned about stands. And at the end of the week, they had their bench. Now, when I would go in there, this is what this guy was doing. It's fascinating to watch him. He'd sit there, guys, I want to tell you about this bench, and I'm going to tell you about this wood and these wood types. And he'd talk about that for a while. Then he'd say, guys, I want to tell you about Jesus. And then he'd start telling them about Jesus. And they go back and forth every day, et cetera. And I mean, he let the, put the gospel out there to him, but he took his talent of woodworking and allowed God to use that to impact those young men. And it, it impacted them about five or six times over multiplying the talent of what he had. And at the end of the week, those boys walked out of there with a bench in their hands, with their self-esteem lifted because of what they had learned how to do and what they had done. And that man walked out of there having used his talent. Now, let me share something with you. I couldn't build something if my life depended on it. Those boys did not need to learn sermon construction from me that week. They needed to learn how to make a bench with that guy. We had a, a lady that came to us one year, and she said, I love to knit and crochet, 
How can I use that to God's glory? Well, we were working in a huge public housing area called Young's Terrace, 700 and some units. We set her out in the middle of the yard, put one of those pop-up tents over her, gave her a chair. She sat out there with a group of girls, and she taught them how to crochet that week. I would look out there, and she had her group of girls around her. She had all her yarn, and off they went. And she was being used of the Lord and multiplying her talent with them. The first year I was in Chesapeake, I'd, we were in a vacation Bible school in a community. And I drove up to uh, what's called the Cuffey Center, which is a large uh, gym public recreation area. And I looked down in a field, and I saw all these boys practicing football. And I thought, I'm going to go down there and see if we can give those boys water and, and, and somehow or another tell them about Jesus. So I went down there, and I said, can I meet the head coach? And they said, yes, let me go get him. And they brought me up to a guy and introduced me to him as Coach James. He was a Navy Seabee. And Coach James had started this neighborhood football program, had about 120 boys in it. And as we began to talk, Coach James said, you're the pastor at South Norfolk Baptist Church. And I said, yes, I am. He said, I've been trying to get a hold of you for two weeks. I'd never heard of this guy. He said, I want to match this football program with your church. And God gave us 120 boys just like that uh, to do ministry with. And over the next few years in basketball and in football, we had opportunities. And I watched him coach those boys in the sports but we also had opportunities to give those young men Bibles, working with the Gideons to share what it means to know Jesus Christ, to share the plan of salvation with them. I had one night, we were in a locker room, and uh, the Gideons had come that night, and they passed out New Testaments to all the boys. <laughs> there was a kid in the locker room, and he told one of the coaches, he said, I already got a New Testament. They gave me a New Testament last year, and the coach says, take the New Testament and read it. You can use as many Bibles as you can get your hands on it. <laughs> But it was just interesting to see. But what I'm saying here is God took the ability to coach in football and basketball and used that as a talent to be multiplied to his glory to reach those young men for Christ. What has God placed in your life that he wants to multiply? Notice what he says in verse 23. He says, enter, the master says, enter into the joy of the Lord, the peace of the Lord, the satisfaction of the Lord, the purpose of the Lord. When we get in alignment with our lives, with what God's placed in our lives, it brings satisfaction, it brings purpose to our lives, it brings peace, wholeness to our lives. He says, you're a good servant. In other words, the, the Greek word there means you got character, you got integrity. And he says, you're faithful, that means you're reliable, I can, I can depend on you. Now, notice the principles for talent squandering. The guy, verse 24, he said, hey, master, he was proud of himself. I know you're a tough guy. You, you, you reap where you didn't sow. You're a hard guy. You're stern. So I took my talent and I buried it in the ground. Now, in the ancient world, burying something in the ground that was highly prized was a habit. And so he says, hey, I did a good thing. I took the talent you gave me and I buried it in the ground. But notice what he predicates that on. The reason I buried what you gave me in the ground is basically because he's just a mean, tough person. You see what he's doing here? He's blame shifting to the master why he didn't use his talent. Not my fault, your fault, 
You're such a difficult person to deal with. That's the reason I hid what I got in the ground. There's nothing quite so much fun as blaming God for why we don't serve Him. And we don't come out and say that. But, you know, if God gave me better circumstances, I'd be able to serve Him. If God gave me better health, I'd be able to serve Him. If God would make my life easier, I would be able to do what He asked me to do. If God didn't put so many cracked up, crazy people in my life that I had to deal with, I could really serve Him and make the most of it. If God would change me and put me in a different geographical place than where I am, then I could really be used of God. If I hadn't grown up in the dysfunctional, screwed-up family that I grew up in, then I could really be used of God. I mean, we come up with every excuse in the book to blame the Lord for the circumstances of our lives for why we cannot be used of God. And the master basically looks at him and he says, your problem is you are disobedient and you're lazy. You are lazy. I mean, he calls him slowly. He says, the reason that you're not being used of me and the reason you went and hid your talent is because you're lazy. And in so doing, you kept back what I had from being used. When we take what God has placed in our lives and we hold it back, we're keeping other people from being blessed by it. And how many times is it because we're just lazy? We don't want to put the work in. We don't want to put the effort in. So it's a whole lot easier just to blame God for our set of circumstances. We don't want to put the blood, sweat, and tears into it. I mean, anything in life that's worth getting and having is going to require work. Dirty four-letter word. But it's going to require work. It's going to require some sweat. It may even require some tears. And are we willing to do that because we can't be lazy and be used of God? We cannot be lazy and used of God. And when I've had times I wanted to back out of stuff and tell the Lord, I'm too tired, I'm too overworked, I'm too this, I'm too that, I sense God saying to me deep in my spirit, what's wrong, David? Is my grace not good enough for you? Is the power of the Holy Spirit in you being released for you not sufficient enough for you? Is the liberating truth of my word not enough to set you free in order to be used of me? Are you not leaning enough into me so that what you lean into of me will be sufficient for you to get the job done? Folks, let me encourage you. Don't allow a lazy spirit of what God has for you and what God's calling you to be and do and to use what he's placed in your life. Don't let a lazy spirit keep you back from discovering and walking in the satisfaction, the peace, the fulfillment that the Lord has for you. Notice he, he really gets on the guy's case, verses 29 and 30. He says, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to cast you out into outer darkness. I mean, he gets pretty tough um, on them. Basic principle is this. Use it or lose it. Use it or use it. Now, let me address one final thing, and we're going to be con conclude. Some of you that I'm talking to this morning say, Pastor, I hear everything you say, but you're not on the lazy spectrum. You're in the exhaustion spectrum because you just work your head off all the time. And you say, I don't know that I got anything left to give. Let me encourage you to do this. This story begins and this story ends with the servant before his master. Follow me on this. He's only got, those servants, they only got one master. 
You know what burns us out? It's when we got multiple masters. Everywhere we turn, something in life or somebody in life is telling us they need a chunk of who we are. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I imagine a bunch of you could if I asked if that's where you are in life. They only have one master. And they only listened to one master. And they only had to take what that master had placed in their lives and use it. Jesus calls you just to listen to him and to receive what he is placing in your life and to work out of the overflow of what he is placed in your life. We burn out and we get exhausted when we got more masters than we know what to do with. And we walk in the power of what God has when we got one master and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just flow and go where Jesus tells us to flow and go in his strength and in his ability. Let's pray. Father, help us to relate to you as our master. We are your servants. And Lord, you're the only master that we have. The past is not our master. People that want to just pull everything we got in us out of us are not our master. You are. You will give us the talents to accomplish what you want accomplished. And that's it. And so Jesus, help us to hear you. And help us to move in obedience to you. God, may you not have to wait on our obedience. And help us to be obedient, Lord, to just you. And Lord, at that point, we will accomplish in life what you have for us to accomplish. And you'll help us set the priorities as to where the priorities need to be set. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you have never said to him, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Master, and I'm going to follow you and I am your servant, that I want to encourage you and I want to invite you right now in this room and those of you that are joining us through the internet to just pray a simple prayer to him and say, Jesus, be my master, be my Lord. I trust you. And I will be your servant. And I will follow you. In just a moment, we will sing a hymn of invitation. And as we sing, if you're here and you've just trusted Christ as your Savior, I invite you to come so that we can encourage you and help you grow in Christ. If you're listening through the internet or through radio, I invite you to contact us here at the church so that we can encourage you and help you in your new walk with the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you sense that God's calling you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come you need to pray and do business with God, I invite you to do so as we sing, either here at the altar or there in the pew or there at the home. Let us let the Lord have his way with us in these moments. Jesus, you're the master, we're the servant. We wait upon you in your name. Amen.